Hello humans, welcome to My Game Fiction Addiction, the podcast where we take a deep, exotic plunge into the greatest plot lines, characters and fictional worlds of video games. If you mainly play games for the incredible storytelling on offer, you, my friend, are in the right place. Today we're covering an absolute cult classic, and one I'm ashamed to say that until this year I'd never played. Seriously, somebody take my geek card, tear it up and chuck it in the bin. Disgraceful. It is, of course, Bioware's critically acclaimed sci-fi RPG, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, aka Kota, aka one of the greatest Star Wars games ever made, aka the reason people are devastated that these days Bioware are making things like Anthem. Knights of the Old Republic was published by LucasArts and released in 2003 on both PC and the OG Xbox. I was very much a PlayStation devotee in 2003, so it's no wonder 11-year-old me never stumbled across it. So why now? Well, that has everything to do with our guest. My co-host this week is one of my best friends, a nursing hero during the pandemic, and an absolute Kota fanatic. His name is Ben Craig, and I hope at some point you cross paths with him because he's not only one of the kindest and funniest humans, he's also bloody weird, and I mean that as a total compliment. Every Tuesday, we hop on Gears of War together to talk smack and shoot locusts, and when the podcast launched, he simply insisted that I had to do Kota. I was unsure, especially as I like Star Wars, but I'm not a Star Wars nut. But he told me that didn't matter. It's got naffle to do with the movies, it's set like 4,000 years before the Galactic Empire is a thing, and you get to play as a Jedi, exploring different planets in the galaxy to defeat an evil Sith Lord. Plus, it's a very typical RPG with turn-based combat, which I love, and it has D&D mechanics, totally my thing. Plus, like Fable, you can choose whether to be a nice Jedi or a total dick and turn to the dark side. Long story short, he eventually broke me, and I grabbed both Kota games in a Steam sale for £2.50 each, no less, what a bargain, and I decided I would play it through from start to finish so that he could join me for an episode on the very game that's so close to his heart. He decided to have another playthrough too before we sat down to record, and because the game is so centred around player choices, I have absolutely no idea what decisions he made or how differently our stories might pan out. Get comfy, get a cuppa, and may the force be with you. Welcome to MGFA, Ben Craig. Oh, it's been a long time coming. You bullied me into this experience. Every single time we played Gears, you would not let Kota drop. I was like nudging it in there of every conversation. I was like, <laughs> I will with, I will, I will chip away at Amy Sol until I get her to play Kota. It will happen. <laughs> at one point, you had a cough and you were like, Kota, tell me what this game means to you. When I first ever played it, when I was a child. It was unlike anything I had ever played before. One of the things I love most about the game is how it takes you on the best sort of tour of what Star Wars is, but at the same time it detaches you. It has its own breathing room and it takes you on the journey that feels familiar, but isn't bound by like the iconography, the characters, the events of the film. So it's just fresh. It's a fresh experience. It's interesting you say about it not being tied to the necessary iconography of Star Wars and the movies and a lot of the the major fan service that surrounds Star Wars because when you first told me about it I remember saying to you I'm not an insane Star Wars fan like I like it you know I've I've watched all the movies and I I definitely think it's brilliant but it's just never been something that's like got me to the point of staying up till 4am on fandom 
googling the hell out of it so for a game like this to really grab me i can definitely say to anyone who's listening you just kind of need to know like the base stuff you know like if you know what a jedi is and you kind of know that the sith are evil you're probably going to be okay i think kotor hit me at such a key age of my life i was i was quite young the xbox was new at the time i had no prior knowledge of the game my brother just brought it slapped it on the desk and i was i was hooked i passed his progress quite quickly and I just remember through the game, like racing up and down the stairs going, you never guess what, and grasping his attention and just making him watch my playthrough because of the twists and turns along the way. When you did play for the first time, were you playing light side or were you playing dark side? I think the goody two shoes that I was when I was younger, I did gravitate towards light side. But I think as I've replayed the games, as I play games in general nowadays, I tend to adopt a more morally grey approach. Being super good can almost be a bit sickening. And being bad, well, you know, I've got to sleep at night. So (laughs) I've got to feel morally okay with what I'm doing. But I ultimately like my character to feel like a person. So I like to throw in like a quirk or two, a random dislike for no apparent reason towards another character. Before we press the spoiler alarm and we go into story territory, we promised that we would reveal our character names to each other. My character's name wasn't too out there, um, but it was definitely a little bit exotic. So I went with Leela Sawayama, kind of based off of Rina Sawayama, who is one of my favorite artists. And she was, obviously you can play different classes. I chose to be a scoundrel because I like to incorporate a little bit of my real life into my character. Nice one. So what about you? I will first say that I was a male to counter your female character. I chose Scout, so the tagline for that was an explorer at home on the fringes of space. Thought that sounded pretty cool. Uh-huh. The only thing I would say of the guys is I hate their heads. <laughs> Weird thing to say. Weird thing to say in not the context of the game, but they're just a bit bland and generic. So I ended up with a guy that kind of looked like a dude bro from like 90s comedy films. Like he has a tuft of hair underneath his bottom lip. Oh. So I thought, can I really see this guy as an evil character? It's funny you say about the heads, like hating their heads. I I didn't have a problem with my lass's head, but her butt. It is so big. Her butt is incredible. She looks like she's been solid snake crouch walking for like three weeks solid. She looks like one of those rap guys' girlfriends. I do feel like they stick their butts out when they run. Like, There's something about that run animation, isn't there? It's like, girl, you know your assets and you're working it. As Cisco would say, she had dumps like a truck. So I thought I'd go for guns only playstyle. Knowing that you like to go light side in your first playthrough, I thought, I'm going to go dark. I don't know how I landed on it, but my name is Awit Ulshai. Oh, what? You just yeah. said a load of syllables and not any words. <laughs> well, so it's spelt A-W-I-T-T space L-E space S-H-I. So it's Awit Ulshai. <laughs> and I love it. For reasons that will become clear through the playthrough. <laughs> and you didn't use like a random name generator or anything. You just came up with that. I mean, if that came up in the random name generator, <laughs> I would have been on the floor <laughs> gasping for breath. So pleased to meet you, Alwit, on your adventures on the fringes of space. When it comes to attributes, because obviously this is a lot like D&D in that regard, I kind of figured that that would be my jam. However, I actually 
maybe thought the game was going to be a little bit more Fallout-ish in the way that you kind of get to like essentially have your own path if you choose like intelligence and, and kind of charisma if you rely on like wit for most of the game. So I put a lot of my attributes into intelligence and charisma and then throughout the first area of Taris, like we won't spoil it yet, but the first part of the game, I just got destroyed continually. And then I remember I said to you, I don't know why I keep dying. Like I, I put, you know, I sprinkled my stats around when I was choosing all my attributes at the beginning and I just showed you a screenshot of my character and you just went girl oh i did i panicked for you at the start i thought oh no she's not having a good intro to this game she's really struggling now i'm glad you struggled yes it made it all the better when i got to later stages in the game and i actually had developed more and i think again we'll kind of get to like dantooine and stuff in terms of story but i think the fact that the game kind of gives you the chance to almost respect your character in like you know, the first third of the game, it kind of goes, okay, fair enough. You, you know, if you did struggle, here's a way you can kind of rebalance yourself a little bit. But I persevered. I persevered for you. You didn't even know how to walk properly. I had to show you the mouse trick. (laughs) I'm a console player. (laughs) Yeah. And that was evident, wasn't it? It really was. Someone described me, actually, I don't know if my friend George is listening to this, but one of my, uh, my friends and a, a colleague of mine as well actually said to me the other day that me playing with a mouse and keyboard is, and I quote, frankly horrifying apparently I look like piano cat (laughs) I can just imagine your arms and hands just like contorted around this mouse and keyboard Ben Craig would you like to press the spoiler alarm here we go yeah boy Spoiler alert, if you don't want plot details, get out of here because we dish in the dirt. We are about a blurt, so if you ain't played it yet, spare your poor ears and no one gets hurt. We know you'd be pissed if you're in the midst of a really great game and we told you the twist or told you who died and how much we cried. You'd feel kind of bad for derailing your ride. We've been there before and it is a shit out when some total n- posts the ending on Twitter. So back away now and you won't get scorned because spoilers are coming and you have been warned. So we're in spoiler territory now and we're going to break out the story by the planets and the key locations because it's fairly easy to follow that way. We start on the Endar Spire. So we wake up on board this Republic ship, no idea who we are, where we are, what the hell is going on and then in runs this geezer who literally will not stop talking about everything. (laughs) I'm Trask Olgo, Ensign with the Republic Fleet. I'm your bunkmate here on the Endar Spire. We work opposite shifts. I guess that's why you haven't seen me before. Trask has exposition diarrhea. Bless his little exposition socks, that's all I can say. The ship is under attack. Like, the the Sith have attacked the ship. There are alarms blaring. There are explosions going off. People are running around being shot and lightsabered to death. And Trask is just like, let me tell you about Bastila. Bastila is the commanding officer on the Endar Spire. 
Well, not an officer, really. But she's the one in charge of this mission. Not now, Trask. It's like a little encyclopedia. You know that bit when you run through the ship and Karth is just like, um, you need to get to the escape pods and Trask, without missing a beat, just turns to you and he's like, That was Karth contacting us on our portable communicators. He's one of the Republic's best pilots. He's seen more combat than the rest of the Endar Spires crew put together. You may remember him from such films as... And the weirdest thing is as well, he's so weirdly calm when he's explaining <laughs> things. Like the whole ship is going down. There's explosions everywhere. And he's just like calmly detailing every facet of the galaxy and story to you i'll be honest i love i love the the intro to the game is great but at first i was like i don't know if i'm gonna be able to take this seriously and i think as well he does that old game tutorial thing where he says open the menu press the something key and like in the character's perspective that you're playing you would just be like is this guy for real is he all right who hurt you trust <laughs> so we learn through Trask's incredible uh, encyclopedia. He talks us through kind of who we are, what's going on at that precise moment, whether there's any urgency in him or not. And he says that Bastila the Jedi, she's been using her battle meditation for the Republic. They need to go and find her. When they do get there, she's like locked behind a door. And then Trask decides to be the hero, sacrifice himself and go and deal with the Sith while you escape um, on the escape pod with Karth Onasi, who you've literally just met. So it's kind of awkward. There'll be time for questions later. So we crash land on Taris. Karth's there with us. He kind of, again, fills us in a little bit more about what's been going on. Revan was the previous Dark Lord. Um, he has been defeated by Bastila. And after his downfall, Malik has then taken place as commander of the Sith army. So we need to go and shut this bitch down. And the first thing we need to do is find Bastila because she's obviously, you know, she's a Jedi. She's a great asset. This is kind of where you start to explore the world of Taris. What were your first impressions of Taris as a planet and as a city? I like Taris and I don't know why. I think you start out with just you and Carf and I like the simplicity of it. You're going around, you're asking questions, you're trying to figure things out. You spend a lot of time there, you get a good sense of the character that is the planet itself. It's sort of divided, isn't it, between excessive wealth and extreme poverty. Taris is this sort of weird tier system, a little bit like Midgar in Final Fantasy VII, where you kind of have the, the poor and the depraved living on the very bottom part of the city, like the scum, the slums, the underbelly below, and then the rich and the sort of privileged live high up in the upper city of Taris. And everyone who's living in it, even if they're in the upper sections, the rich sections, they still don't feel entirely happy. There's a real feeling of like, oh, the city isn't what it used to be. There's a lot of racism. The aliens are, you know, effectively the outsiders. You've obviously got like the, the Twi'lek dancers. So you've obviously got the quarantine and the fact that nobody can leave. So there's kind of that hanging over them. But there's also all that oppression with the alien races and kind of how they're forced to live. And one of the things that really, really hit me was that you find an alien who's bullied by human children and he can't fight back because he'll be arrested. Go back to where you came from. We don't want your kind up here. And like, not to get too deep on this podcast, but like with, you know, current climates and, and situations involving, you know, racism and prejudice, that's scarily, you know, poignant 
that quest made me really sad. I defended that poor little alien guy. Um, so yeah, it's very, there's a lot of uh, social commentary going on. There is. And I, I think as well, with kind of the, the layer cake that is Taris with its tears, in addition to racism, alienism, whatever we should call it, there's classism as well. We'll delve into that a bit more deeper when we get to the underbelly, uh, under the city. Um, but there's a lot going on. It's a bit, it looks pretty on the outside, but there's some troubled uh, qualities to Taris. Well, we can't hide on this planet forever. Eventually the Sith will find us, and trust me, you don't want that. So we're wandering around. We're trying to make our way down to the Undercity to try and find out what's happened to Bastila. There's that awesome bit with the Sith party where you kind of have to steal or you have to get a Sith armor suit and everyone's drinking some super strong Tarizian ale and before you know it, everyone's passed out and you get to basically rob them and leave. <laughs> that was you. I didn't get it that way. Oh, did you not? What happened to you? No. Well, you see, I couldn't... You must have befriended the female Sith in one of the cantinas because I started talking to her and then she was just like cut me off I felt a bit hurt let's be honest everyone in the cantina is rude they would just didn't like my my dress style where did you get those clothes a trash compactor in the lower city I couldn't join the Sith party so I I came across the Sith interrogating a hidden Beck spy which will mean more very shortly and uh, he kind of gave me the uniform and pointed me towards one of the gangs of Taris. Interesting, I see, okay. It's interesting how there is so many paths and not even like a good and a bad, do you know what I mean? Like there is lots of like, you can almost pick and choose the ways in which you get from one side to the other. You progress, but it's entirely up to you as to how you get from A to B. Did you go in the dueling ring? Did you check out um, anything in the cantina beyond just a couple of the quests? Because you first see Kato Nord there, um, oh my god, what a character. <laughs> oh boy, does he love his counting. Did you did you test him with his counting? Did you see, did you pester him? I did, I, I absolutely did. He got to the one, he got to two, and then he was like, obviously, after two, I knew he'd just shot those other people. Um, if you test him all the way, does he, does he just shoot you? Oh, he gets you in an instant, yeah. <laughs> I really like Kalo Nord. I thought he was really cool. He's just such a badass. He definitely has that air of like, you don't mess with him. The second he walks in. I think as well, he has, and that must have been intentional. He has small man syndrome. He's small. <laughs> and I think he makes up for it. He does. He just uh... takes no, he takes no hassle from the Taurus crowd. Part of me was like, oh, I hope he ends up on our side. Because at that point I'd kind of got to where... I'd met Mission and, and Zalbar and I was like, oh, this is how the game works. You kind of gradually build up a party as you go, like a lot of RPGs. To go back to what you asked me, yeah, I love the Jeweling Ring. How far did you get in it? Well, as you know, I was struggling in Taurus in terms of like my, my character build. So I kind of used the Jeweling Ring as a way of learning the combat and sort of practicing a little bit. I think I got through to the crazy Rodian who shoots your face off in like one minute. I can't think of the guy's name. Nice. Yeah, no, you got quite far. Yeah, I got quite far. I also used it shamefully to farm medicates because every time you died, you came back with full health, but you also um, had a medikit spawn in one of the plasteel cylinders behind uh, the hut. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, I didn't know that. So I was just like, hey, farming some medikits. But but like I say, I, I really struggled in Taurus, just like combat wise. I, I think I, I just wasn't strong enough. Like, 
like Karth was doing everything and I could take like three hits and would die. And obviously then when you saw, you know, my sort of constitution and stuff, you were like, no, 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 you've built your character all wrong. I think I thought I could rely more on Guile, but you definitely need to have uh, a base physical stat to your name like whether it's I started with blasters I think and then in the end I was like nah I got a really good vibro blade and I sort of went from there one thing uh, that happened to me a lot in the early days of Taurus was that I got politely mugged there were a lot of people who were like I just need money to pay the debts of this guy and I was like sure have a hundred credits and then Karth was like lol what wow that sure was generous of you I just hope we don't end up needing those credits later on. I decided my character was a penny pincher and I had gathered, I had earned my cash through the jewel and ring. So I gave them nothing anytime they asked me, but I wouldn't take it personally because, uh, Carf was a little bit like, eh, about me as well. So that leads quite nicely on to Carf actually. Like what were your first impressions of Carf? The first impressions, all right. You know, we've got the same agenda. However, he kept asking why it was me that survived with him from the end of Spire. And it just felt a bit harsh. You know, you're like, I'm, I, I, can fight, I can fight my own battles. Why are you questioning how I survived? It was a bit odd. It's good to know it wasn't just me because I felt like maybe because I picked the scoundrel, that was something that they were almost preordained to be more suspecting of me. But actually, no, they, Karth was sus of me from day one. He was just, I've actually written in my notes, Karth has incredible trust issues and keeps getting fresh with me and being a whiny bitch. Oh, ouch. I think you hurt my man feelings with that one. Every time we started having a big heart to heart, he'd be like, I don't want to open up. It's, it's a bit like you're in a relationship with the man, for Christ's sake. He's just a bit back and forth. He's a bit emotional, really. He's got baggage. He's got such baggage. He has got baggage. And he's not willing to detail why he's got baggage quite yet either. I like the, the style of getting to know these characters that you spend a lot of time with, because obviously you can pick and choose who you take on missions with you as such and, and sort of through the game. But rather than you having like uh, shed loads of cutscenes and a lot of sort of like forced um, interaction, you kind of get to peel back the layers on your own as you go, which I thought was really intriguing and actually allowed you to almost feel like you were in that role and you were prying for more information. And weirdly, by the end, Karth was one of my favourites, but it took a while because... God, he was just so incessant about why I survived and, you know, who I really was. And you do eventually find out his his trust issues stem from a major betrayal, which we'll get onto later. We eventually make our way down the different layers of this big layer cake city. And we realise that there are two gangs. Uh, there's the Hidden Becks and then there's, is it the Black? What's the other? Ooh, the Black Falkers, I want to say. Yeah. That's it. So the Hidden Becks versus the Black Volkers. You kind of meet Zalbar and Mission Veo around that time as well. And they effectively help you kind of gain favour with Gadden and the Hidden Becks. And it all kind of comes down to a sweep bike race in which Bastila is the first prize. So we need to win that race because she's being held captive and she's being sold essentially as a slave and put up for, you know, first prize in this in this bike race. What did you do around this time? I got favour with the Hidden Becks. I raced uh, for them and I, I think I killed the Volker gang. I see. I obviously start with the Hidden Becks, but I decided to side with the Volkers because I, I felt like it made more sense. It gave me a higher chance of obtaining Bastila. So what that really meant was that I 
marched back to the Hiddenbeck base and pretty much slaughtered a lot of them. Wow. Okay. (laughs) I was kind of on the side of who I thought were the good people because they kept saying that that guy, Brzezik, or Brzezik, he was a traitor. But yeah, was it just a big bloodbath on your end then? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There's nothing much else to say, really. I slaughtered a lot of them. I'm quite happy with myself. (laughs) You end up going through the sewers and that's where you find the uh, the Rancor monster, which took me quite a while uh, to figure out that you kind of had to put the grenade down and then he'd eat it and then he'd kaboom because I just tried fighting it and kept dying over and over again. And I was like, this has to be something that I'm missing here. Did you work that out quite easy when you were a kid? Oh, no, when I was a kid, I swear, I just didn't have the ability to read. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's also no guides for anything. Like, it's not that obvious. I just didn't have the focus. I just didn't have the focus as a child to pay that much attention. So I I remember when I first played it, I I stealthed past the Rancor. But of course, my other teammates were behind it. So I had to slowly shoot at it for like 20 minutes to kill the thing before the rest of my crew could come to the, the Black Volker base. Mission and Big Z. What were your thoughts on meeting our next two characters in the party? So, Mission is the one that you get to know a bit quicker. Yes. Yeah, she opens up a bit more, doesn't she? She does. So you first meet them in the cantina and they, they're together. They're getting kind of hassled by some um, Rodian thugs. Mission seems to have this a bit of a complex. She doesn't like to be seen as a kid. At the same time, though, she's got this big hulking... Wookie that is strong that can protect her as well yeah the thing i love about salbar is that he's just not fussed he's a bit of a lazy one <laughs> he's kind of the man in the relationship of the two she's just kind of like trying to groom him and trying to like make him care basically i keep telling Zalbar to brush those choppers of his but he never listens he doesn't really look after himself all too well we meet mission after the cantina in the undercity and she's separated from Salbar, isn't she? Mm, yes. Big Z's in trouble, isn't he? And it's a really cute scene as well, because when you do save Salbar and you you know, you've only really just met these two characters, so you get that there's something, you know, there's a really strong bond between them. They're obviously incredibly close. You don't really know how they've been thrown together. A giant Wookiee and a and a girl who is effectively she is a kid, but she definitely does not want to be referred to as a kid, despite being a little bit immature at times. Um, and they have a really interesting dynamic and uh, you eventually save Zalbar and he pledges a life debt to you. Yeah, life debt. Isn't that something you come out of university with? (laughs) I loved Zalbar. I thought he was great. And getting to know Mission was cool as well. Mission also has one of the, probably the best quote actually for me in the entire game. She talks about her brother. You find out that she's kind of in the situation that she's in because her and her brother um, escaped from a, a, a planet. They were basically stowaways. And her brother swore to protect her and then basically ran off with some woman and said he was going to get some money and come back and take care of Mission. And then he basically just didn't come back. And we find him later and he is a total scumbag. But at this point, you're only kind of going on her word for it. So you think that this woman who got her claws into him was, and Mission refers to her as, My brother running off with some intergalactic skank. Intergalactic skank. At this point, Mission's quite, in a way, protective of her brother. She's She wants to see the best in him. And now, obviously, that evolves later on. When we're down in that part of uh, Taris as well, because it's so kind of contextual to Taris itself, 
uh, it's kind of worthy to note the outcasts. So they are in the undercity, not the lower city, the undercity below that. And basically the deal with the outcasts is it might not be themselves, but maybe their ancestors that committed crimes and they were banished out of the main levels of Taris. They're, they're punished for crimes pretty much that they didn't even commit. And they are living poverty. So it is that classism at play. Oh God, these guys are being punished for something that, like you say, didn't even really happen, didn't happen in their lifetime. It's just something that they were born into. In the bigger picture of things, that plays into certain things as them being more vulnerable to the Rackle disease, um, which is like this zombie-ish sort of creatures that roam the floor of of the world how did you find the swoop bike racing i i actually really enjoyed it yeah something about that mini game that's quite addictive feels like wipeout like a, a much more sort of less zero g wipeout that's sort of stripped back and it makes you hold your breath as well because when you do obtain that that um top speed it's it's you know if you hit a barrier it will it will mess you up so it, there is that kind of like edge to it that competitive edge so then we finally see bastila she's like you know in this little cage she effectively gets out of the cage by using some jedi trick which i totally abuse later on in the game she's just like oh you know i saved you and you're like excuse me in case you haven't noticed i managed to free myself from that neural restraint collar without your help in fact it's more accurate to say that i saved you i honestly just really didn't like bastila from day one she's so rude I could just be being, you know, a bit force sensitive. Yeah, she's a bit up herself, shall we say. And I wasn't having it. I was like, no, I saved you. You know, she tried to take the credit and I just, I, she, she was very un-Jedi-like. Yes, yes, Jedi I always thought were meant to be like incredibly humble. She's, she's quite personal, isn't she? She's quite cutting. You find another couple of characters on Taurus too, so you get T3M4, the droid. I did the thing where you buy, did you buy the first droid from that shop and then it blows up promptly the second you get outside of the shop? No, I didn't. I threatened the, <laughs> I, I threatened the shop owner and said that basically I'll get the Sith to close her down or something. And so basically she sold me T3M4 for like half price. Oh, no way. Oh, what, so you didn't even get the droid? because it's meant to be for Davik, isn't it? You kind yeah. of pick it up. Right, I get you, okay. But he was, I just sort of overlooked him the whole time. I feel like he was cute for the first little beep boop beep boops, but then you get a much cooler character who's a droid later on. Yeah, T3M4 is a bit, a bit. Uh, he, he doesn't do much in KOTOR 1. Oh, he does more in KOTOR, Kotor 2? Yeah, there's more, in, there's more of an interesting arc to him in KOTOR 2. Following that is, of course, Candorous, the bad dude. He was a bit Duke Nukem-y. Oh, he really is. He looks like Duke Nukem. He does, doesn't he? He's a hired gun for Davik. We bump into him again after Bastila's rescued because he is pleased by how we have fended for ourselves and he wants to use us to get off Taris himself. His plan for doing that is that we're going to go and find this crime boss, Davik, get into his mansion on the pretense of we're going to work for him and then steal his ship. While Davik's checking you out, we steal the Ebon Hawk and escape Taurus. Come on, I've got an airspeeder nearby to take us to Davik's estate. Davik kind of struck me as like a Robert De Niro wannabe. And then we will continue our tour. <laughs> and then at one point he says, he says it like this and I love it every time I play the game. He says, sorry, <laughs> but it ain't gonna happen. So, 
You figured you'd just steal my ship for your getaway and leave me high and dry while the Sith turn the planet into dust? Sorry, but that ain't gonna happen. Yeah, he definitely, they must, somebody must have watched a lot of gangster movies and was like, just be every gangster, be every, every mafia boss ever. And uh, he totally went for that. And that confrontation that you have with him before you get away on the Ebon Hawk with, uh, with Kalo Nord and him is, uh, I really, that was a hard fight. I kept dying in that for a while. And I think in the end, the way I got around it was I just got my characters to throw free grenades at the same time and then they all just landed on Kalo. And if you get him um, if you get him down to 50% health, that's kind of when the battle ends, isn't it? Yeah, uh, that is a tough fight. So commendable that you got through it because I know you were struggling at that point. Yeah, I definitely... I've, I just realised that my character wasn't built for, for combat at that point and it was a bit of a shame because I also had no way of healing myself, obviously, because you don't have Jedi powers at that point. So... I was burning through medikits like nobody's business. So as we're basically escaping Taris, they blow it to kingdom come. They being the bastard Sith. Yeah, they, they throw a laser party for the planet, basically, and they bring the house down. So Taris is no more. We made a lucky escape. We've just got off the planet. You've got Kandorus, the, the Duke Nukem bad boy. You've got Karth with his mega baggage and trust issues. You've got Mission, who's constantly calling her brother's girlfriend an intergalactic skank. You've got Zauba. And then you've got uh, T3 M4. I just forget about him. Uh, oh, and Bastila. How can we forget bitchy Bastila? So you get to Dantooine, and this is where the Jedi uh, have their base. It kind of becomes clear that you and Bastila have a connection. Uh, she is effectively linked to you by your dreams. Keyword is that there's a force bond formed between the two of you. And that's quite an important thing in KOTOR. But we don't really know how this force bond has, uh, has um, come about. We presume that it's because we've gone through the hardships of Taris and because we at this point know that there's some force sensitivity going on in ourselves that has kind of connected us. When you meet the Jedi, they effectively realise that you're force sensitive and they kind of decide to, to train you in the ways of the Jedi. Although I did mark down in my notes that they do keep age shaming you. Teaching a child is hard. How much harder will it be for an adult to learn the ways of the Jedi? Excuse me. <laughs> if I don't feel bad approaching 13, now I do. Oof. I could be a Jedi at whatever age I choose. The biological clock isn't ticking. <laughs> Expanding on that foe as well, they're also quite tight-lipped. And they keep very focused on me potentially going to the dark side. They don't want more fallen Jedi, which has been an issue for them in the past. The Jedi were just so judgy and obviously Bastila herself is just like so judgy that there was a moment where I genuinely was like, I'm going to join the dark side just to piss them all off because they were really getting on my tips with how like incredibly sort of, I don't know, just they just seemed like they had no faith in me. And it was almost like they would. And I guess, you know, knowing the twist, which we'll get to later on. It kind of makes sense in a weird way that they were almost testing me to see whether any part of that was still there, that weakness in my heart. 
Um, but yeah, I uh, I thought it was also pretty curious. They seem to be hiding something during uh, during our first visit to to Dantooine when we get the the Jedi training. So jokes on Bastila. I actually ended up taking her lightsaber after we became a Jedi. <laughs> oh, did you? I used Bastila's lightsaber pretty much for the entire game. What class did you pick? I was a bit back to front to your experience. You started out with a NAF class and you flew on Dantooine and became something much better. I was the opposite. I I chose Jedi Guardian, which was all lightsaber stuff. And I wasn't lightsaber and I was gunslinging. I picked Guardian too, but I was a melee person, so I knew what I was doing. Come on, Ben. Part of our training is to go and rescue Juhani. Is it just me or is she hella flirty? didn't have that impression. <laughs> no. I don't know what it was. Maybe it's her pretty catty eyes, but I was like, are you coming on to me? I mean, I was quite, quite pissed at her by this point because I really struggled through those calf hounds. So basically, she's, she's kind of warped the nature of the planet to be more hostile and the calf hounds are so tough. I can't tell you the amount of medipacks that I used on that planet. And um, <laughs> and mines as well. I just, I really struggled. Because, of course, I'm only using guns. And they run at you, don't they? They are fast. Did you, um? so I take it, obviously, you rescued Jahani as well. Is there any other way that can really go? I did rescue Jahani for the sake of the podcast. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so I didn't go full dark at this point. I was letting it trickle out. You can oh. kill Jahani and she's <gasps> never part of your crew. Oh, that would make that that would make that bit later on when you go to the unknown planet and you go through the ruins. If it's just Jolie, I bet that's that's tough, isn't it? Different, yes. Um oh my God. And I think as well there's a middle ground where you don't succeed and she just kind of sulks there. But <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I just I convinced her to come back to the light side. I achieved my task. I went back and uh you know, effectively spoke to the council and uh, yeah, they were kind of like, cool, let's uh, let's turn you into a Jedi then, son. By this point, I've not really got much faith in the Jedi, if I'm honest, because as soon as we touch base in Dantooine, we're getting berated by a Jedi for not wearing the Jedi robes <laughs> and all of that. We've come across Basta, that's a bit of a character, and Jahani, her whole deal is that she cut down her master in a fit yeah. of rage so like what's the deal man jedi have some emotional problems they need to deal with the way of the jedi is difficult it requires great discipline dantooine as a place uh i thought it was just super super weird because you've got all the jedi there who are obviously like incredibly high and mighty but there's a lot of strange quests going on in dantooine First things first, you get that creepy woman who her husband's died and she's basically replaced him with a droid. And she's kind of like half sexually frustrated, half grieving, probably a mixture of the two. And she wants you to go and find her husband slash droid and bring him home. And when you find the droid, the poor sod is traumatized. He's just like, nope, not going back to her. You don't know what she did to me. (laughs) What did you do? I, I took him back. I, oh, no. I basically well it, apparently it was the right thing to do I, I, I don't know if I got did I get light side points I can't remember but either way I, I took him I took him back to her and uh, he was like yeah I guess if it's what she wants and obviously then she's really happy and he's uh, he's trapped there forever <laughs> yeah. wow, 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 wow. don't worry I'm gonna hug you and oil you and care for you and make sure you never get away ever again Please kill me. I I destroyed him. Oh, no, you killed he him. He asked me to. I destroyed him. And I went back to the woman and basically 
harshly put to her i he's destroyed he's gone Aww. and i think she kind of went away crying if i remember <laughs> rightly there isn't really a good a good way to resolve that is there so did you help out the two warring families did you make sure that they didn't kill each other and the the couple ran away together i think i did it right i got light side points they basically ended up coming together and then they left both their families it's a classic romeo juliet the way i entered it they all kind of congregate outside of one of the family's houses. And um, I'm kind of not going full bad guy at this point, which is basically, I would be saying, kill them, kill them all. You know, I didn't feel like that. It wasn't, it wasn't my mood for the day. So basically I was twisting the knife gently. (laughs) (laughs) Prodding, prodding. Prodding, ever so much prodding the knife. Um, And yeah, so basically it ended up that the, the, girl and the boy ended up despising each other and going back to their own families oh god wow you were like an anti-matchmaker but it can be a bloodbath that it literally can end up that everyone dies but i didn't feel like it jesus did you do the murder trial i did yep you know me love a bit of true crime um although i don't think i got the right answer you've got two people both saying "Uh uh-uh not guilty and um basically you've got to decipher who did it both got one's got a gammy leg one's got an injury to his hip and things get a little bit suspicious i think i thought that the guy had tried to shoot the calf hound or the whatever the creature was and accidentally shot someone else and then tried to cover it up and i don't think it was that in the end so i wasn't very good at it i wasn't poirot but i did enjoy that mission yeah if you were the truest of detectives you would have found out that both were guilty. They plotted and planned together and the guy was gone. Ah, don't trust anyone. That's the answer don't there. Don't trust no don't one. Don't trust no one. So back to the main story part of things then. You obviously get your Jedi training. You've redeemed or maybe killed Jahani, depending on what you did. We then go to the ruins and that's where we discover these ancient ruins where uh, Malak and Revan, his old master, who is now dead, came before... And uh, we find the star map and wherever these maps are taking us, it's all kind of leading to um, the Star Forge, which we don't really 100% know what that is yet. But we gather it's something that we don't want to fall into the enemy hands. This is kind of where the real adventure, the real quest begins. We have to go and find all these pieces of the star map in order to essentially complete it and find the Star Forge. Here comes the planet hopping. You know, you've got the Ebon Hawk, you leave Dantooine. Just before you do, you get a cutscene, and I loved this. You figure out that basically Malak's uh, right-hand man is Karth's old mentor. Ah, that's why Karth has so much emotional baggage. The big betrayal was that, you know, he's the guy who effectively trained him and, you know, was there and responsible for him and sort of, you know, was his leader, turned tail and is now uh, fighting alongside the Sith. But yeah, it was uh, it was quite a big reveal. And then obviously Kalo Nord is alive. I am hard to kill, Lord Malak. Oh, I know. For the rest of the game, he was just a looming Frex. I, I knew he was coming back and I was dreading it. I will say he was the hardest fight for me in the game, I think. I mean, well, actually, uh, I suppose, I suppose, you know, I suppose Malik is technically the hardest. Of course he is. But I found uh, Kalo Nord really challenging. Talking about the hardest fight. So on Dantooine, we get into the place where we find the star map. The droid in there, or should I say droids? Yes. They are really tough. They're really hard. Yeah, you can sneak around them, can't you? 
You had the guile. I didn't. I had crummy pistols and a poor class choice. It took me ages. It took me ages. And the thing with those droids as well is there's a friendly one of those droids. The droids have like these spider-esque legs. And after I killed one of the mean ones, the bad ones, the friendly one literally sprinted up to me and it freaked me the hell out. Like it... It just—it was so spider-esque. Oh, it was freaky. No way. Before we move on as well, I want to make a bit of a point of the Mandalorians because this is a bit of a thing to kind of really know about with Kotor. Is there was a whole war called the Mandalorian Wars, and it basically what happened was this is when Revan and Malik turned to the dark side, as well as a whole heap of dark um, Jedi as they're now called. This is just the context to see them in at the moment, because obviously there's the good and the bad, but there's a bit of a history there as well. The Mandalorians are uh, like a warrior faction, a, a group of people that um, caused the war and, and caused the Jedi to fall to the dark side. So yeah, just handy to know. And uh, there was a heap of them in Dantooine that were difficult to get rid of, but... Um, paves the way to a lot of story points in the game going forwards. I had a lot of run-ins with the Mandalorians, but they're never really, obviously they're never the main enemy, but they're definitely a very formidable foe. They are very intimidating and you're always aware if you're going to have to fight one that it, it could be pretty gnarly. I guess that's us then, off to our first planet. Where did you go first? I went Kashik first. I went to Tatooine because in, you know, my sort of limited Star Wars knowledge, I was like, that's Luke's home world. Yeah, a bit of ground knowledge there. Yeah. Off to Tatooine. Okay, so we arrive on Tatooine. What were your thoughts on this cool desert planet? I like Tatooine, always have. It's a familiar ground, so exciting in that sense to see what it looks like a couple of thousand years before the films. I thought it had um, some curious characters. We go to the old hunting lodge, don't we? Where Tanis Venn really wants us to know how much he hates his wife. It's not my fault. She knew who I was when she married me. His wife gets him back later on in the June Sea. She surrounds him by killer droids. Yeah, did you save him or, or no? I've saved him and I will wear the badge of proudness. I I did all the puzzles on all the droids by myself. No Google involved. No way. I don't know how I did it. I guessed my way to victory. <laughs> <laughs> You cheeky sod. I knew it. I was like, you didn't work those out. You just got lucky. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally Googled them. I saved them too. The main quest really here is obviously uncovering the star map, but the, the kind of arc of Tatooine is all about the the Circa Corporation, who we hear quite a lot about as we go uh, exploring the various planets. They, they're all about the business and for the business and don't really care what they do to the planets that they're on. Yeah, the Zerka Corporation are basically this mega corporation that run everything, very financially driven, um, have gentrified a lot of the planets, as we'll come to discover when we get to Kashyyyk. And um, they basically are at war with these people who are called the Sand People, who live out in the Dune Sea. And uh, it gets a bit messy. You can kind of decide how you're going to tackle this threat whether you're going to go out there and basically just kill them all so that they can carry on hunting in peace or whether you can 
you know, liaise with them and somehow negotiate your way to a peaceful outcome. So what did you do, first of all? Oh, girl. (laughs) (laughs) What did I do? So I got myself a new garb, some sand people attire. Because you have to kill them, don't you, to get their outfits to sneak into their settlement. Yeah. And by this point, I had a protocol droid, which we'll talk about in a moment. But um, And I walked up and negotiated my way through the front door. I really thought you'd be a bit more guns blazing. I was thinking you would, uh, you'd would you be a bit more evil. I guess I'm waiting for the finer parts of your evil deeds. But uh, I did the same thing. Let's talk about this droid, okay? Oh, yes. Because I would say he's probably one of my favourite characters in the entire thing. HK-47 is ready to serve, Master. HK-47, we find him in this old droid shop. You can actually bargain, you can kind of barter with the shop owner to get him down to a decent price, which I was... I was really quite, quite uh, ruthless with this. I kept asking and asking and then I threatened and eventually I got him for an absolute steal and uh, he joins the party. He is so sarcastic, so incredibly self-aware and not only hilarious, but also maniacal. Like he's clearly, he's one of the Sith, you know, more sort of dark side characters that you get. I love that he just refers to all humans as meat bags. Perhaps you would prefer the term liquidious flesh bag. HK-47, he, I mean, he, he knows his own mind, really. He's none like any other droid. He, he is a killer queen. Like, he had some of the best quotes in the entire game. I've got most of my notes from the whole of this playthrough are just um, about HK-47 and how incredibly sassy he is. There's one thing I wrote down. Uh, he said it to me as we were on the um, Ebon Hawk at one point, And he basically, we're talking about like him being a droid and having all these crazy functions and stuff. And he's not entirely sure what his core memory functions are. He says uh, about, you know, what it is like to be human. And, uh, you know, you're kind of like, oh, you know, it's cool. And he's like, how the constant sloshing of all that water doesn't drive you meatbags mad. (laughs) That's quite a standout quote for him. Yeah, it really is. Oh my God, amazing. So I had quite a high repair skill. Oh, okay. So I was able to tinker away at him and all the time I was like leveling him up. Like I was making him stronger in his stats as a bonus for it. But at the same time, he, every time you uh, uh, tinker with him, he learns about another past owner that he had. Mm. And um, so he's telling you how he was like, and he was owned by like a, I think like a crime boss. You're airing his dirty laundry, basically. He finds himself in some interesting situations and in how he's passed about. All he had to do was flutter his little blinking lights in his eyes and I was there. Call me a meatbag. I'm on board. Call me a meatbag one more time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> where are we going with this? I wish to meditate upon the face of my former meatbag master as he was electrocuted. I find it most soothing. He can translate a lot of different languages. So he's fluent in uh, in sand people in this kind of weird growling sort of guttural sound that they make. So you take him into the sand people settlement and he's able to translate. And that to me was probably my favourite part in the entire game. And I think why that was, was just because it was incredibly funny. It was incredibly tense. 
he basically wanted to murder all of them because that's his like default mood and obviously we're there to try and negotiate and it's just such a pivotal scene because HK47 is translating and it's so tense because you have no say over what he's saying all you can hear is him kind of going translation and then making that noise translation <laughs> And you're totally at the mercy of this really sketchy droid that <laughs> you don't know. I negotiated my way into a peaceful outcome. There was no bloodshed. The sand people were allowed to exist. The hunting lodge people, they were all cool. I, I think I kind of did it the way that the light side path was intending, I guess. And the good thing about that is you can talk with a historian in the tribe. They talk about how Tatooine used to be um, a lush environment, forests, and that the sand people were like a much more kind of developed culture. What happens to Tatooine was that Tatooine was absolutely destroyed pretty much by an ancient empire who um, basically drove the sand people into caves and that's what turns the planet into sand. That's really cool. You've uh, laying down the law there, Mr. Craig. I like it. But then being the, the badass that I am, I wanted to loot the place because I know it had some good loot. I went through the waste paper bins. There's a lot of wicker baskets. I tell you what, <laughs> interior designers went through that place because the wicker was everywhere. I tell you, the texture. Ooh, the texture. So <laughs> I then decided to just like insult them and kill them all. <laughs> Oh my god, did you free the Jawas as well? Free the Jawas, because I like the Jawas, I think they're cute. They're adorable. And, you know, the leader promised to pay me something. Well, he helps you also get to where the, the knowledge of where the star map is, and then you kind of have to go and find that other hunter that you sort of spoke to in the beginning at the hunting lodge, and there's a crate dragon there, and I was like, my god, if I can't even, if I struggled against Kalo Nord, like, how am I going to bring down a dragon? He does it all for you, lay some mines down, it's all good, don't worry about it. I'm not going to complain because I got an awesome crate dragon pearl out of that that I'm going to wedge into the hilt of my lightsaber. And then obviously when you get the star map, you know, you come out of there and uh, oh shit, Kalo's there and it's a showdown. And this was quite a hard fight. I didn't encounter Ka Kalo Nord on Tatooine because Kashyyyk was my first planet. So I, I ended up encountering him on the forest floor of Kashyyyk. Cool. Did you find Griff as well? So Tatooine is also where you come across Mission's uh, beloved brother, intergalactic skank Lena. You find her on one of the other planets and she says, oh, Griff's on Tatooine. I ran into Lena. She, she said it was your idea to leave me on Terrace. It isn't true, is it? Uh, well, there's the truth and then there's the truth, you know? I, I always meant to go back to Taurus's just as soon as I had the credits to pay off my debts. But credits have been hard to come by. You mean it's true? It was your idea to leave me there? Yeah, turns out this guy is just a bit of a loser. And uh, he wants you to get him some testicle from a monkey which you do on Kashyyyk a bit later on. But you save him from the sand people, at least. I mean, I, I did that much. Yeah, and it's at this point that Mission kind of loses faith in her brother. Previously, she kind of held him in high esteem, um, thinking, oh, he didn't leave me, he didn't leave me. But 
she kind of sees that he's unchanged and it, he is a bit of a slime ball um, and she loses faith. Yeah, Zalbar is her true family now. Big Z for life, even though she hates his breath. And monkey balls of all things. Like, come on, dude. <laughs> come on, my, monkey balls are, you know, they're, they're all the rage at the moment. That's what all the bigwigs are buying. Seems to be the quick rich scheme of today. <laughs> <laughs> so other things that go down on Tatooine. Bastila. She gets a bit of a backstory here. So you encounter Bastila's mother. I didn't. Oh, I didn't. I did. No I, way. I, I had oh interrogated Bastila quite a bit by this point. So um, Bastila has some emotional trauma from her childhood. She doesn't get on with her mother. Her mother, she blames her mother for her dad's death and just kind of family um, just uh, dysfunction, really. So her mother kept sending her dad on treasure hunts and ah. it was a treasure hunt in which her dad died, which we learn. And we find his corpse in the um, in the crate dragon pit, the cave. And what the mum wants mm. is one last memory of him. So she asks us to gather his belongings and bring it back to her. Bastler's absolutely against this. She, similar to up to now, is kind of not the greatest example of a Jedi. She's very emotionally driven. That's so weird because I got that out of her, but more towards the end. Yeah, uh, and naturally follow it through and we give the belongings back to her mum and it transpires that her mum's dying of some things. She won't survive. And it's at this point that there's some reconciliation between the mum and the daughter. Um, some that emotional trauma's was healed in my playthrough because I, if I'd been a bit of a bad person, I wanted to do right by my companions. I wanted, that's a quirk of my character. I wanted to be loyal whilst being bad. So it ended up that Bastila and her mum had a bit of a happy ever after. And it just grew Bastila so nicely in my playthrough. Oh, I did not know that. Is That's not the bin who accosts you when you first get into Tatooine, is it? And asks you to sell a plate for her? No, 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 no. Okay. She's in the cantina. <laughs> I wasn't sure if that was Bastila's <laughs> mum. No, 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 no. Oh, fair enough. No. Sweet, I did not know that. It's amazing how many layers there are, like, if you really do. Because, I mean, you can take a variety of different characters with you, can't you, wherever you go? Like, if you didn't have mission with you, you wouldn't really be able to do the Griff quest. So it's interesting, like, just the kind of exploring each planet with different characters can yield such awesome results. So, um, so yeah. So up next, I went to Manan. talk about Manan I actually just want to say one thing that I think you might find quite amusing I noticed a pattern when I got to Manan uh, because I'd actually done this already in Tatooine but I in fact did it for pretty much every planet that I landed on I used the Jedi mind trick to avoid paying for the parking fee <laughs> oh I tell you if only I had that in real life <laughs> it got to the point honestly dude where Juhani told me off for using it too much. 
oh yeah, you get scolded for using it. They don't like it. But I tell you what, you can really get by with a little help from a Jedi mind trick. Every single time our ship landed, lo and behold, a Zerka guy would wander over. Excuse me, if you're going to land your ship there, you need to pay 200 credits. And I would just wave my hand over their face and go, I don't need to pay the fee. And they'd be like, you know, we'll let it go this time. And it never got old, Ben. It's perfect. And when you're bad as well, oh, you can abuse it and abuse others with it. But we'll get to that. Okay. So we land in Manan. This is the neutral planet that's full of Colto and fish people. Colto. Healing agent. Kind of said in various uh, Star Wars-y things. But it kind of gives context as to how Medipacks works and things like that. Nothing much more. That's the only thing the planet's got going for it, really. As they continually drone on about, they are in fact a neutral planet. They want nothing to do with the Sith or the Republic, really. They're happy just coasting along on the fence in between. When you get there, it becomes apparent that the Republic are hiring mercenaries, which is curious. You also find out that the Sith have kidnapped some of the young... Um, I keep calling them fish people, but what what is the race? The Selkath, that's it. And they're basically being held in their base. So you go into the base, you free the fishes, for want of a better term... And uh, basically, when you then get out of the Sith base, you get arrested for not keeping the peace. So in the Sith base, first and foremost, how did you get inside of it? Because there's various ways. So you can interrogate a guy, can't you? Yeah. I interrogated the hell out of that dude and I got a way in. And I think I also sliced the computer successfully and managed to do that as well. Oh, I did too. And I was just so chuffed by this point because I was like, I'm such a mathematician. (laughs) All the puzzles were just like, where the, I've been hounded by those puzzles my whole life every time yes. I've played those games. And this time it was just clicking. I felt clever. Yes, yes. I've actually just looked at my notes and yeah, I did interrogate the prisoner, but I did also solve. Solve the maths, which is not something I'm normally very good at. But yeah, I did it. And I got into the Sith base. And then you realise that some of the um, the Selkath that are in there, they've actually kind of had their minds swayed by the Sith. And they are, you know, basically... Um, on the Sith side, and you kind of have to kill a few of them, which is a bit of a shitter. Oh, you killed them, did you? Well, <laughs> are you sure you did the light side playthrough? Because I, I saved them. Is it just going to come out that? Well, I, I saved, I saved the Selkath's daughter. Oh, okay. There's one of them, isn't yeah. there? Yeah, I, I did, I did do that right. But there is a couple that just run at you, and you just have oh, no choice but to yeah. kill them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I did, I did do the, everything else. I was very light side, Ben. Honestly, you'd have been. Not proud of me at all. I did, I did everything right. Okay. Did you manage to convince the, you know, the Selkath that the Sith were behind it all? Uh, so, yeah, someone tried to defend me, one of the Selkath, but he sounded very naff. So I said, I'll defend myself. And I did. <laughs> I did. It didn't take much. I did it quite successfully. You're like, I don't need a lawyer. Yeah, I, I got through that bit okay as well. And then naturally, uh, you end up going into the depths uh, in the submarine in search of the star map because it's all the way down there. This is a a horror story oh my god you get down there and there's immediately a dude running away he sounds really unhinged he's freaking the f out we have to leave now i managed to close the door after they killed everyone else but i don't know how long it will hold and then when you go in there all the Selkath have somehow gone crazy yeah it's freaky nothing quite prepares you for the change of pace that that is also can we talk about locker guy <sighs> fishy fishy what the he reminded me of you oh what <laughs> That's <laughs> cowering in fear. I just, I wondered why you couldn't get him out. You can't get me, little fishy. Nothing here. I'm safe behind my walls. I was a bit sick of his antics, so I decided to equip 
a lightsaber for the first time in my life and shove it through the locker. <gasps> oh my god, you killed him! I did. I entered his emotional trauma. You killed locker guy. What did he do to you? I googled it. I googled it for ages. I was like, there has to be something you can do with this utterly bonkers character, but apparently not. There is no reason for him being there. He's just a guy who's gone crazy and hidden in a locker. Leading on to the main event then in, in Manan, did you poison the shark? There's a choice of poisoning the shark and destroying the machine. I destroyed it. <laughs> See, I sound very light side, but it's all gradual. I really thought you were going to be so much worse than this. You've let me down. Sam, Samantha, if you're listening, you would be appalled at how good Ben has been. <laughs> Oh, you you wakes! I make up for it in all due time. It makes the fool all more, all the more emotional, shall we say? But I destroyed the machine because that's what was sending the big, the big fish crazy, which in turn was causing it to scream out loud and send the cell calf crazy. So I I wanted to get in the cell calf's good books at that point. I did the same thing. I blew up the machine. To me, they kept banging on about how if you poison the shark, right? it's going to potentially poison the colto, which is obviously like down there waiting to be extracted to be used as medicine. And protecting the colto seemed like the right thing to do given its medical properties. So I totally, yeah, I destroyed the machines. Um, And they weren't very happy about it, but screw them. I probably did more good in the long run. So, Well, the Republic weren't happy um, because obviously it, it... It got in the way of their efforts to get ahead of the Sith in mining the Colto, because that's why they had the underwater base in the first place. So I guess it, in a way it benefited the cell calf more than anything. So for me on Manan, I got some really good insight into two of my companions' backstories. Firstly, with Jahani, we learn about how her and her parents fled her homeworld, lived on Taris, Jahani's dad died, and Jahani's mum tried to keep things going between her and Jahani, financially, whatever. Um, but it, it's quite sad affairs, really. Um, all of that slowly builds up into how she was in the Jedi Order. She was, she was found. We come across the person that killed her dad. And this brings that inner sort of anger out in Jahani again. So she's not fully, like, goody-two-shoes light side still. She's struggling. Also, with Candorous came across uh, one of his old comrades from the Mandalorian Wars and he basically seemed really angry towards Candorous. Candorous seemed to be of a higher rank than him and led to the demise of, of a good group of Mandalorians. We dig and delve into this a bit more. Candorous is a bit unsure as to why he's angry at him, but he challenges us or challenges Candorous to a fight on Tatooine sand dunes to really hash things out. I go to the sand dunes with Candrus. I back him up. He's my boy. But yeah, Candrus uh, had to make a hard call and people died because of, of his decision. And uh, this, this was the consequence. The beauty of all of this, though, is we kill the person challenging Candrus and Candrus kind of makes a transition in his arc. He He's now ready to progress onwards from his past Mandalorian identity and become something new. And he says it in a similar sort of words in, he's not sure what yet, but he's ready to evolve. And I think that's lovely. That's amazing. I didn't, I had no idea that there was so much hidden depending on which character you took with you 
into each planet i think i very much was like a one planet stop and i was very invested in the idea of getting the star map and getting to to malik but that's so cool i did not know that juhani was it sounds bad but juhani was definitely one of the characters i neglected we'll get to him in the next world but jolie was my boy i i just have everything to say about jolie bendo i mainly stuck with him i kind of grew to love karth because i realized you know that karth's issues are just a result of his you know he's a product of his environment and what happened to him my absolute favorites ended up being candrus mission hk my boy and bastila bastila was one of your favorites well we had a thing going on but i'll delve into that a bit later <laughs> Okay, all right, all right. I didn't realise you could find an old comrade of Candorus or or Juhani's story can be kind of opened up even more. Like, that has blown my mind. That's really cool. There's a lot hidden in the game. So there was uh, one side mission, my first time ever playing it. This is what surprised me with Manan because I usually don't enjoy the planet. There is a, like a, a hidden bounty hunter clan or... Um, a business sort of thing and they recruit you but they only recruit you if you're walking up to the person by yourself oh god i this did happen to me yeah um oh god the gena genahadron genahadron oh, god knows how you pronounce it it was a long word and I, I won't even try this sent me across the whole galaxy i went to the kashik floor um the the, the dark depths of kashik and there was like this this uh enemy i had to defeat who changed shape and was turned into different things he was in fact he was in fact all along the wookie and i will get to it very shortly but he's the wookie called Rar, whatever oh, the no whole time way. that's him and there's other bounties along the way but ultimately we find out that we're being used by this rodian to for him to climb up the ladder in the ranks of this organization and once again back to the sand dunes to fight our differences he said 1v1 i came up with my squad anyway because i didn't trust him and lo and behold he was with over a whole lot of people i killed him and got some sweet swanky loot dude that's brilliant i can't believe that i can't believe there's so much that i missed on the first playthrough you wouldn't even scratch the surface like i'm genuinely amazed yeah i'm so amazed by that before oh, before we go to kashik one last thing uh the quest that we both fell in love with where there's a guy called Sunri. He's a friend of Jolie. So you don't actually, I mean, I didn't get it until later on. I had to come back because I hadn't met Jolie Bindo yet. But you basically have this guy called Sunri who is charged with killing a Sith um, warrior. And she, it's a, it's a she, and they were having an affair and you kind of have to get to the bottom of whether or not he's guilty. I loved this quest. Like, again, I love true crime stuff, but... We both fell in love with one of the characters, didn't we? <laughs> the love was strong. <laughs> Gloopar. Gloopar wonky. <laughs> Gloopar wonky. Don't do it, Gloopar. Don't do Glooper it. Gloopar is so cute. He's the little Rodian guy, isn't he? Who was paid to plant this um, Sith medal on medal. someone. Yeah, yeah, on the... Is it on Sunri? On, on, the, on the person that Sunri presumably killed yes yes on his lover yeah because he kind of sets him up doesn't he yes i remember i just thought glooper was the cutest thing the rodians are pretty sweet anyway you know they're massive eyed and sort of like very bug-eyed looking but yeah glooper was the best i want to adopt you as a pet <laughs> thank god you know he doesn't get arrested or anything but turns out you know sunry was actually guilty what was the outcome of your case i think when i played it that 
somebody was guilty, but I was never 100% certain. And then the wife kind of took her turn on the stand and pretty much put to shame every effort I put into trying to defend him. She just got emotional on the podium. He'd been seeing her for some time, I think. But he said he was going to change. It's very court case like uh, Phoenix Wright, isn't it? You literally have to be thinking about like the case that you're putting forward. I think I ended up basically... He was uh, he was charged with murder, but he wasn't executed, which to me was the best outcome because he was guilty. So I was like, yeah, cool. You can totally rot here, but at least you're not going to die, I guess. I think he found out the Sith woman was spying on him. So that's why he killed her. Yeah, she's like a double spy, a triple spy, yeah, something like yeah. that. Triple spy, <laughs> quadruple spy. <laughs> Whoever knows. Ready to go to Kashik? Yes. <laughs> So we're on Kashik, the Wookiee world. <laughs> what were your first impressions? Nice jungle vibe going on. A bit of bouncy music. 8 out of 10 on TripAdvisor would come again. Yeah, would come again. <laughs> I mean, apart from the fact that immediately it's pretty obvious that the Circa Corporation are gentrifying and enslaving what was the Wookiee's world. I mean, it used to be called Adeen. And uh, now it's Kashik, and they're making a fortune off of it and all the Wookiees are slaves and it's horrible and I felt so angry. Yeah, it kind of sours the mood a bit, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> this is Big Z's, um, Zalbar's planet where he was raised and where his family are. And when you get there, he naturally starts to get a bit nervous. Um, he apparently, he opens up to you a bit more because actually Zal was one of the only people or only, you know, characters who never really opened up to me massively on the Ebon Hawk. Like, a lot of them, you can sort of keep prodding at them, you can spend more time with them. Zalbar was very much like, I think his exact phrase was, you know, mission may say more, but I will not. I like that, yeah. Yeah, me too. I was, because I respected that. I was like, okay, cool, if you don't want to say anything about your past, that's fine. But then when we get to Kashik, it all blows up, because he admits that, he was actually exiled from his um, his home civilization and branded a mad claw. His brother made a deal with the slavers, didn't he? He did, and and yes. in a fit of rage, um, Salbar attacked his brother with his claws, which is which is deemed completely dishonorable. Yes, I mean it's funny that you sort of see the Wookies as very animalistic, big, hairy bear creatures, but actually. They are incredibly civilized, and to be branded a mad claw is because you you stooped as low as to use your claws. You know, yeah. it's animalistic. It's you know really sort of unjustified and incredibly undomesticated. They see that as the ultimate shame, don't they? Oh yeah, they do. Yeah, it, it, there's a again, there's a culture there. There's a there's a, a sense of history of the people of the inhabitants mm. of the planet. Definitely. So brother Chundar is actually in charge. This this Wookiee that made a deal with the slavers, he's still in charge now. Um, Zalbar's dad has gone walkabouts because, you know, he apparently, he was the one who exiled Zalbar after siding with Chundar. And uh, yeah, we kind of find out that the planet's in a bit of disarray and the Wookiees are all under Chundar's rule and, and essentially just slaves to Zerka. So it's kind of up to us to go down and try and find the other Mad Claw, 
who supposedly there's another Wookiee that's gone crazy and he's gone down to the forest floor. So it's up to us to go and find him and earn Chundar's trust. So I imagine there's a lot you can do here with regards to different pathways and who you can side with. Can we just take a second to appreciate the name Chundar? <laughs> I know, I was the same. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get away from Chunder everywhere. <laughs> and the other one that's just called Rawr. <laughs> they had fun with these Wookiees names because, come on. <laughs> uh, obviously, you go down to the bottom floor of the forest. This was where I fought Darth Bandon who um, is a, a bad guy who set out to kill you. I think he might be the apprentice of Malik. I encountered both Kalo, Kalo, whatever his name, and and this Darth Bandon on this same exact place down at the bottom of the lift. So I, by the second time, which was Darth Bandon, I thought, I'm never coming back here again because it's just a bit intense. Oh, wow. So Darth Bandon has to be on Kashyyyk. Is that like a thing? They can show up anywhere, but... Um, uh, but yeah, uh, just like everyone uh, seems to love jumping on me on the forest on the forest floor of Kashuk. Ooh, hey! Wow, oh, okay. Whatever you're into. Did you find that fight easy, tough? What are you tough. thinking? Um, yeah, that was not an easy one. I, f- it, it was hard. I literally had to like. I turned into a total druggie. Like I was, I was packing <laughs> stimulants. I was like boosting up my stats with the force powers. I was. I was just doing anything I could, man, to get through that. That was tough. We meet a brand new character on the forest floor. Do you want to sing it with me? Jolie, 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 Jolie. That was clashy. I'm begging of you, please just join my gang. And he does. And he does not shut up. He drives me a bit cuckoo, if I'm honest. Really? I fucking loved him. He was, he was the old guy who just like has a has two cents to say about absolutely everything he's seen way more than you he's been around way more than you he loves to make you feel like you're a young fetus and he's been around the, the world more than more than once i'm not here to satisfy your curiosity no staring at the old man that's what the sign says damn it so the one thing i like about jolie's character is that he's disenfranchised from the jedi order so he's not so blindly following one one kind of uh, ethos presented to us in the rest of the game he is through his experience he has evolved his way of thinking do you know what i think that was kind of why i loved him so much was because he did represent this whole kind of like you know he was gray he was that character i think i wrote in my notes that jolie was the realist character here because he genuinely doesn't really give a crap about the the republic or like the Sith, or, or Jedi, or Order, anything like that. He just wants to exist, and he wants to have a great time. And he is a man after my own heart, because at one point, my character asked him why he was even coming along, and he was like, Could be for the free food. Yeah, he, he's not wrapped up in the drama, because I think at one point he says as well, you know, if you, if you don't defeat Darth Malak, we're in for a rough couple of centuries, but it will even out eventually. You know, so he's not like... He's not so wrapped up in the good and bad, you know. He's, he's very much understanding. And he sees it, the galaxy from the perspective of a, a civilian, doesn't he? Exactly, exactly. He's he's out for himself, and as much as that seems selfish to some degree, it's also real. Like it's 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 me and you. It's everybody who isn't tied into being a hero or tied into wanting to conquer the galaxy and be a villain. It's just the average Joe and. Yeah, there was a certain, like, self-awareness to him. The Jedi are just as capable of injustice as anyone else. 
They may try harder, sure, but sometimes they get it wrong. Around this time, actually, funnily enough, there was a conversation that happened, a bit of dialogue between Bastila and Karth, where Karth started talking about the Republic and blaming a lot of the wars and the losses on the Order. And Bastila was kind of like bigging up the Jedi and being like, oh, okay, well, what about the Republic doing this? They weren't so hot either. And at that point, Jolie's attitude made even more sense to me because looking at the Republic and the Order on paper and seeing that like they're both different ways of handling conflict, I was like, yeah, you know what? Everyone's kind of, you know, everyone is out for their own gain. And, you know, Jolie's point of view at that point really made sense. And yeah, I thought the whole thing with Karth and Bastila kind of arguing their point was really interesting. Um, also, they have a conversation where Karth is like, you lost your lightsaber. <laughs> Did you uh, get that? And she is so put off by that, isn't she? She's so pissed off. He laughs, doesn't he? He laughs. He finds he it funny. He laughs in her face. Hey, 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 don't get mad. I'm sorry. It's just funny to think of a legendary Jedi losing her lightsaber. Take my advice. This is one detail you might want to keep out of the history texts. Yeah, I sense a lot of tension between those two. Yeah. One thing you've said, and I have to emphasise it, because in the grand KOTOR scheme of things, it's really important. The Jedi not getting involved in the Mandalorian Wars sooner has caused a big mm. cataclysm of events. Yes, that's what Karth talks about, yes. It, it caused a negative impact on the Republic, the overall state of the war, and it caused a rift in the Jedi Order itself that caused so many Jedi to fall because the Jedi were deemed as weak and not, not acting in the best interests of the galaxy itself. Had the Council sent us all into the unknown, how many more would have fallen? So you're saying we should have done nothing? Just let the Mandalorians conquer us unopposed? I mean, the Republic was under attack, and the Order abandoned us. We did not abandon you. I love this kind of rich history that's sort of, you know, it's steeped in this conflict that goes back centuries and that adds to a lot of tension and it really builds into the plot because you're not really sure who's right or wrong. Everybody has their reasons. And yeah, I thought that was a really interesting conversation. And yeah, I agree. Um, you know, could lives have been spared if the Jedi intervened earlier? Um, or would it have just meant more life in taken in the long run? And actually, that leads quite nicely onto when we go to get the star map on Kashik, we find that computer that actually kind of gives us those scenarios and as part of its test is like what would you do in this situation and kind of almost tries to make you a war general yeah it, it's like calibrates it's like calibrating are you are you like a certain identity what it's trying to do is are you matching like the previous person that accessed it preliminary matching so it's kind of like when your password's incorrect for hotmail and they give you a clue or a hint, you know, to pass security. And um, yeah, you end up sort of having to try and almost match the answers, I guess, given by Revan. I sucked at this. I was really bad. I mean, I felt better because there were apparently 152 attempts by Jolie Bindo. It always muttered something about rejected patterns for me. I think you struggled because you were playing light and it requires you to think of harsh, cutting, almost dark side-esque decisions as a war general yeah like should i have acted more like revan how did that how did that go down for you i mean i i, I kind of know what it needed out of me by this point so um but i kind of played into it with 
with my character at being a dark side character so I was kind of this is me being able to kind of trickle in some of those dark side tendencies. How did you resolve everything with the Wookiees? Because you find Bigsy's dad. He's down there on the forest floor. He's nearly gone mad. He saw through Chundar and his corrupt ways too late. So now he feels really bad. We sort of say, you know what? Zabar's actually alive. You've got your chance to overthrow your you know, son and basically take back the forest of Adin and take back the planet for the Wookiees. So what did you do? Because I basically went back. I tried to resolve things peacefully. I tried. Didn't really happen that way. So in the end, uh, I ended up killing Chundar and all of the other Wookiees that were defending him. And then I kind of gave it back to um, Zalbar and his dad, I guess, to rule it. And uh, a lot of poor Zerka blokes got murdered by Wookiees. But they were slavers. So screw them. Yeah, no, exactly the same for me. Um, Exactly the same. I didn't side with Chunda because I had nothing to gain from siding with Chunda. Why? It just seemed pointless. I might as well be more loyal to the companion that's sworn a life debt to me from Taris. Yeah, I see where you're on about your loyalty coming into it. You're not thinking, you're not thinking black and white. You're thinking about the the overall gain and the motives of your character. Absolutely. I found Kashik the easiest planet combat-wise, and I'm pretty sure that I did all the side quests as well. Like, I beat the Mandalorians. Um, I also... Um, what else did I do on, on Kashik? Oh, I found the Tackland. I found the monkey bollock for, for old Griff. <laughs> yeah, luckily I already had that, so I couldn't have been bothered to go back just for that. <laughs> One thing that I did really kind of let my dark side out on was... I nearly forgot to say this. With the circa guys that are set up shop on the um, on the forest floor of Kashik. Do you mean do you mean the guys who are like working down there? They've got all those little force field things around them. Yeah, so they do. They have like the uh, the kind of sensory things. Now I didn't have the skills to disable the sensors. So what I did is I used my um, my force persuasion to literally walk up to each of the guys who basically said, if I leave post, the commander will kill me. And I convinced them to leave post. So one by one, the commander killed every one of his crewmates because I could convince them to just walk away. I got so many dark points from that. It was great. Oh my God. I made them turn off. I made them give me the passcode to turn off the machines. And then I let the monster eat them. Uh, oh, ah, that's quite dark in itself as well. It, I didn't get any dark points, but I mean, again, they were slavers. I feel like, again, I can't be wholesomely bad or good in a real moralistic way because I will have loyalties to what I think is right on my own terms. And fair enough, like the monster would have ripped those guys apart, but they were also enslaving the Wookiees and I was not about that. So all's well that ends well. And now we're about to go on to the last planet. So we've got three, no, sorry, four star maps in the bag. And then we go to the final place, which is Korriban, the final planet. But wait, What's going on? Sith interdictor ship. They must have been waiting for us on the hyperspace route. We're caught in their tractor beam. Do you recognize the ship? It's the Leviathan. Saul Karras' vessel. Guess we'll have to find out what happens in part two, won't we? Psych!
Yes, it's a two-parter. I normally like each episode to be standalone, but Kota is a big game. There's lots to talk about because of all the various multiple choice aspects. Plus, we love a good cliffhanger. You won't need to wait quite as long for the next one though, as we did record both parts consecutively. So hopefully it'll be out in just over a week. What I will say though, is during this half of the story, I was kind of underwhelmed by how similar me and Ben's decisions were. I wanted to show off two very different pathways, but Jesus Christ, is that not the case for the second half? Whenever Ben mentions his dark side bubbling up ready to break the surface, he seriously is not kidding. Listening to some of the things he did in part two broke me. If you've got a game you want us to cover, let us know on the socials. And if you liked this, maybe chuck us a cheeky review or share it with your mate who loves video game stories and help us spread the love. As always, massive thanks to Neil Kuhn for our amazing artwork, Daniel Ansel for the spoiler alarm, and Matt Chapman of Muchas Music for our ear-tickling theme song. I'm also slightly ill, so there's a little bit of a valley girl drawl to my voice. See you all in part two.